This is your travel radio podcast, dedicated to connecting you, the traveler, to travel professionals. You will hear from authors, destination specialists, linguists, CEOs, and travel advisors that can turn these experiences into your vacation of a lifetime. Questions, comments, suggestions? Please email info at travelradiopodcast.com. If you like what you are hearing, please leave us a review. Now, enjoy today's audio journey on the Travel Radio Podcast. Welcome to Travel Radio. I am your host, Megan Chapa, and I am privileged to welcome my husband, Joe, back to the program. Welcome back, babe. It's great to be back. <laughs> His smirk indicates he's super pumped to talk about our trip. It's been a while. I'm excited. Yeah, it's been Thanks a while. For me. Yeah. So we travel a lot, but we don't actually talk a lot about our personal travel on this podcast or announce when we're traveling because that's just kind of for security reasons. It's just. Is a, I mean, the listenership is good. It's not that huge. I don't anticipate running into someone, but I just better safe than sorry. But mind your business. Mind your business. So anyway, um, we are now returned from what was supposed to be an eleven night cruise, and turned out to be a fourteen day, fourteen night. Uh, yeah, it was extended three nights. So. Yeah. yeah. So um, it was it it was wonderful. It did feel at one point like we are living on the ship now because I had to do some laundry in the room. But I have a blog article that I wrote about that. I'll put it in the show notes. So this will be a complaining-free episode uh, about this cruise. Uh, We will talk about the destinations we went to and the substitutions instead. Um, But just to start, it was a Royal Caribbean ship. It was the Explorer of the Seas, which will be going into dry dock early next year. And, um, nice ship, nice facilities. It, it is ready for its rehab is all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, they're doing a whole remodel, right? Yeah. So it's it's, good, it's getting a refit. Tens of millions of dollars or something? Yes. Yes. So it's not just maintenance. They're actually going to do yeah. some cosmetic work. Yeah. I mean, we did get to experience the ship on probably one of its roughest journeys in a while, it, uh, which is why the trip was extended because of these back-to-back storms, um, which comically my husband had to meet, miss some meetings, and they said that was the most creative excuse they had ever heard of for missing a meeting, stuck on a cruise ship. I'm sorry. I'm just... Sorry. My cruise got extended. There's nothing I can do. Here's a note from the captain. Here's a note from the captain, and I extended my drinks package. Cheers! <laughs> I didn't put that in the emails about the meetings, but yeah. Yes. So, this itinerary was, I mean, the title of the cruise is kind of like the Canary Islands Cruise, which, if you're from the States listening, which about half of you are, that is kind of Europe's answer to when it's cold and gloomy, where are you going to get away to quickly, what's the closest place you can get to that is warm, and that is the Canary Islands. Now, this itinerary did also include Madeira, which is part of Portugal, and it is a cluster of little Portuguese islands very near the Canary Islands. Um, And so, just to be clear, some were Portuguese, some are Spanish, and, um, and then our two extra ports ended up being Malaga, Spain, 
and Lisbon, Portugal, which are fantastic substitutions for the ports that we were going to go to, which were Vigo, Spain, and La Coruña, Spain. So, to start off, anything you want to talk about on the ship? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I was um, at expectations. It was, it was good. Yeah, it was good. It was a big ship. They had some good entertainment, actually. The entertainment was very yeah. good. Yeah, we met some really nice people also. And the kids' club. Kids were very happy with the kids' club. They're doing a lot with a little bit of space. It'll be good to see that rehab, to see what they do with it. I know we said we weren't going to complain. Oh, boy. But in order to get to the kids' club, you have no choice but to walk through the arcade. Yeah. And I felt like Royal Caribbean was really working it for the kids there, not so much for the parents. You know what I mean? It's true. How much money did we spend in the arcade? I don't want to talk about it. It's (laughs) vacation money, which is like Monopoly money, you know? Like, you just... You just... Yeah. You just make it hail all over the the arcade. You joke, but it was truly a card, so there were no coins exchanged. No, and it wasn't that... And we didn't spend that much money. But when you have a four-year-old, and you have to tell him, like... Because you take the kids for three different periods into the kids' club during a C-Day. So that's six times you have to walk them through the arcade and tell them that, no, we're not going to play arcade games right now. I just feel like you could have put the entrance outside the arcade. Well, right? they they do, but they have them blocked up. I know. That's what I'm saying. You yeah. could have just used the other door, and it yeah. would have saved me At a At least when you're in a gift shop, you can stare down the person at the desk and be like, this tantrum's your fault. Yeah. Nobody worked nobody in that arcade. Down in no, arcade, nobody stared down. <laughs> Just other helpless parents. Other helpless parents. Oh, poor parents. Okay, but the ship was good. I thought dining was great. We did uh, one of the extra Giovanni's table. Is that what it was called? The steakhouse? Anyway, it was good. But uh, we're going to talk about the ports because they are the most important thing of this cruise because these are just destinations that are harder to get to, and we know that we're headed back to the States soon, so we wanted to take advantage of uh, the this itinerary while we were in the UK. So, let's first talk about our first stop on the cruise, and that was Madeira. And Madeira, as we said, is part of a cluster of islands. Two of the islands are um, occupied by people. You know, there's full. I mean, it's their cities. It's little islands, little cities, and then there are two other clusters in there that are kind of nature preserves. So, um, Madeira was, I mean, this is starting the trip off with a bang. Uh, this is a kind of, now this is a cruise stop. So we only got to spend really like three or four hours on the Island because the ship kind of had some troubles getting in, but they were an exciting three or four hours and not every port you know, it's wor- is worth doing something with the cruise line. However, I think that in this specific instance, what they were able to do with three or four hours and the amount of people they were trying to get through these attractions was pretty impressive, the way they were doing this dance with the buses and the shuttles and everything. So for that purpose, I think that was worth it for this port. Yeah? Yeah. I talked to a guy who, well, we should tell him what we did, I guess, before we... Okay. So two things we did were a toboggan run, and it's coupled with a cable car ride up and over from the, kind of from the port over Funchal, which is the capital city, up to Mont, which is a village on a hill. And most people ride the cable car up, and then they take the, t- the toboggan down. 
Um, and that's where do you want to go from there? Um, so we did talk to some people on the ship who said, oh, that's tourist stuff. Don't do the toboggans. That's lame. You can pay seven bucks or whatever and a cab will take you up to the top of the mountain and then you can watch the people do the toboggans. So having done the toboggans, I think that's terrible advice and you should do do the toboggans because it was a blast and... One but of those kind of family memories that we... You have to like thrilling things. Roller coasters have to be okay with you. Yeah, I mean, we were defying death and all that sort of <laughs> stuff, but as long as you're okay with that. Okay, so when you picture a toboggan, um, you might be picturing like a snow toboggan with the, you know, a long kind of bent with a curly Q front that you stick your feet in and put 10 kids on there and push it down a hill toboggan. This is not that. This is not an Olympic toboggan where you're in a chute and you're riding around. No, this is a wicker chair from your grandmother's front porch that they attached wooden skis to. Yes. And then sent it down a mountain at 30 miles an hour. That's probably correct. (laughs) It was not 30 miles per hour. I think they said they clock in at like 10 to 20. But it is... um, We had more people in ours, though, so I... Yes, we had more weight. we probably brushed up against 30. Yeah, so not to spend too much time on this, but it is a death-defying ride. And you get in this basket, which I think is like woven willow. And this is not new technology. This is the same way they've been doing it since like the 1890s or something like that. I think it was like 1840s or something. That's yeah. a long time. So the history is that the basically the wealthy people who would come and you know be tourists on the island would or live on the island would have these houses up on the hill. But then the cobblestone, it's it's kind of mountainous. It's a mountainous island, and so they wouldn't want to walk in their fancy heels and in the heat of the summer down these cobblestones. So somehow someone came up with this idea. I mean, I can't imagine how they did it. Yeah, the first couple ones must have been sporty. Yeah, sporty. But because the skis, I mean, ski is a a generous term for it. They are, like, to me, this is like the scraps from a framing operation. These are one and a half inch by three foot long pieces of plywood. Yeah, it's hard to describe because they, they obviously like were once pieces yeah. of wood, but now they've been so worn down. And in the old days, because of the cobblestones, because now it's paved, so it's smoother. But in the old days with the cobblestones, they would actually, I mean, literally grease the skids to yeah. to get them to slide better. But now they're so worn that you can't even tell what shape the the original pieces of wood might have been in, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and there's, some, there's some historic pictures around that uh, maybe I can find a link to, but... Like with these women with bustles on and their parasols and these huge hats just going down this cobblestone trying to hold everything together and look dignified as these two men stand on the back and try to guide them out of the way of horses and carriages and people carrying other things. And um, and now it's not cobblestone, now it's paved, but you're going down this two kilometer stretch of road that there are houses on. And that you're sharing with cars, people can back out of the driveways, and at one terrifying moment, you cross a busy intersection where a man holds up a little stop sign and attempts to get cars to stop in order that you can fly past at 20 miles an hour on your way to your death at the bottom of the hill. (laughs) Or if a car passes by at the middle of the hill. The middle of the hill. You could pretty much die anywhere on the hill. Yes. Yes. But I thought that was one of the cool things about it, is that, you know, 
there's all kinds of vacations you can take and things you can do, and everybody's looking for the latest, greatest thing, right? What's the newest attraction? And what I like about this is that it's pretty much, it's almost exactly the same as it was 150 years ago when people used to do this for fun on their holidays to the island. And I thought it was cool to participate in that. It, it was cool. And I had a grip on my daughter, and I heard myself praying out loud at one point because we turned crooked, and then... Our, like the guy behind us actually put his foot on a building we were passing in order to push off it, in order yeah. to right the toboggan. And yes, the I. The disconcerting thing is that you know the teacup ride? Everybody's yeah. been on a teacup ride. Uh, yep. You know how the direction you're traveling has nothing to do with where the teacup is pointed? Yeah. That's what it felt like. <laughs> right? Because they, they're, yeah. there are ropes attached to the front of the skis, and then they're standing on the back of the skis, the two guys that are controlling it. And so as they're steering the thing, it changes the way that you're pointed, but it doesn't actually change the direction that you're going. So there were times where we were almost 90 degrees off from the direction we were traveling. Yeah. And it was, uh, you know, that's was, was sporty. Yes, and... What you know now? I'm glad that I knew this after the fact. But our, our friends said that they saw their two, you know, sled men take their tip, go into the bar at the bottom, pound a beer, and get back in line, get in the shuttle to take them back up to the top to steer another thing. So I hope that habit goes on all day. Yeah, <laughs> gotta hydrate. Gotta stay hydrated. Yeah, and then so after that, we we actually took. Our bus, the way we were just in this order, we ended up taking the uh, cable car down from uh, Mont to uh, the port or to the bottom of Funchal. And then we were able to walk around that city a little bit. Um, which, which was beautiful. Beautiful. I, I wish we had more time to walk around the city. Yes, just as it is, it is as tropical as you could want and imagine. And they have a real care for their um, kind of local flora and fauna. And it's on display and and nicely done. But before we get off of Madeira, we should point out that our country has an important tie to the wines of Madeira. That's right. Yeah. You want to go into this? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, we got a lot to talk about. But, um, you know, so when the colonists went to the Americas, mm-hmm. they didn't have... They didn't weren't growing their own grapes yet, right? Because it takes generations worth to get good grapes growing to make wine, and so they had to import it. And most of the wines couldn't survive the long uh, journey across the Atlantic. It gets skunky, if you will. Yeah, and then Gross. all the temperature changes too as you're going across the sort of mid Atlantic. Uh, and so the Madeira wine, though, is fortified wine, so they added a spirit to it. Um, to make it last, essentially. So they add the spirit, that fortifies it. Then it undergoes all these temperature changes. Uh, and so by the time it got to uh, what's now the United States, um, it would, not only was still good, but people really liked it. And then because the British had a monopoly on who was allowed to trade with the British colonies, uh, and they also had deals with um, the wineries in Madeira, they made it so that Madeira was the only wine that could be imported into the 13 colonies. Um, so that that's why it was so popular at the time. So um, historians are pretty confident that they um, toasted the signing of the Declaration of Independence with Madeira, and then they toasted the inauguration of George Washington as president with Madeira, which is pretty cool. But yeah. then once they became independent, they could import from whoever they wanted, and so Madeira became less popular. Yeah, yeah. So um, inter- so there, I have an article that I have linked to the episode, and it is by, not Epicurus, it's by... Mm, gastro... Mm, gastro... Obscura. Yeah, Gastro Obscura. Yes, and they, they have actually purchased receipts from the Washington estate at Mount Vernon 
for copious quantities of Madeira, and including one from the day that he actually died, that he was placing a last-minute order, a plea for Madeira. So, new Fourth of July tradition. Make like, um, I'm going to say, this would actually work well for, what I'm trying to say, fruit in a jug with Madeira. Also, sangria? yes, it would work well oh, as a sangria because you add brandy into red yeah. wine in order to make sangria. And so this is just all they've already done it for you. Yeah, with a white wine. With a white base, wine. Sort of, yeah. yeah, something like that. So that could be good. Mm. Yeah, so that's a really fun article that you can go ahead to the show notes, scroll down to the bottom, and it's there. Party like it's 1776? Party like it's 1776, yeah. Drink some Madeira, throw some tea into the harbor? <laughs> so part of the article is about the stamp tax repeal and John Hancock. Anyway, I won't get into it. Read it. It's a good article. All right. So, closing out Madeira. Oh, well, yeah. That's where we'll close it out. That you should try the wine. And on a high note. Yeah, and on a high note. Eat it. Read what how you should pair the wine. Ask go to a wine store. Ask them how you should drink that specific wine because there's a couple of different wines. Some of them are desserts. Some of them should be paired. Anyway, do it right. There you go. All right. Now, next island we went to Tenerife, and Tenerife yeah. is one of the Canary Islands. So this is we are now in a Spanish territory, and we opted. So as far as ship offerings, there weren't a ton that four-year-olds could do as shore excursions offered by the ship. But we went on this trip to take the kids to the beach. That was one of the things we said we wanted to do on this vacation. And so Tenerife had amazing sand. And the reason they have amazing sand, do you remember? Yeah, it's imported. It's imported sand. Because the Canary Islands are volcanic, so they have black and chunky sand, if you will. Or also sand that just gets super hot. So... Where did this sand come from? Uh, it was a gift, right, from mm-hmm. the, king the king of, of Egypt. I thought it was Jordan. Uh, I don't think it's Jordan. It's, uh. it's imported from the Sahara, right? Oh, the Sahara yeah, 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 yeah. So I think it was a gift from the king of Egypt, but now we should look it up and not lead you astray. I don't straight. have my phone. Okay, you look it up. I'll ask. Okay, you Sorry, ask. Ask the, uh, the wizard box. Yeah, so, which it is very nice sand, and the water is turquoise, and there's a very, I mean, the, the transfer that you take is is very nice and very appropriate and close so that if, you know it's a very short ride to the ship you can get right out to the beach and you can rent either um beach chairs with an umbrella for like five euro or you can rent like one of these very romantic day beds which when we first got there they were actually available and i considered but then i saw all of like the newlywed and in love romantic couples that were renting them next to us and i thought we are going to ruin it for these people so we opted just to get uh, get the chairs and the umbrella later. So we yeah so we did the, the transfer uh, to the to the beach there, and I was really proud of you because you ordered our lunch all in Spanish. That's right. Which I know that people listening that are not from the United States are like, oh, he speaks Spanish. It's so fancy, but we don't get a chance to practice it in our area of the country very much. So I was very proud of you for Thanks. doing that. Yeah, you did a good job. Um, and so did you find that information? No, I'm having a hard time. Okay. But our, so there, this is something fun to look up if you're going on a cruise. There are Facebook groups called Cruising Ducks. And it is a fun tradition that someone has started where you hide 
these rubber duckies on the ship, and then you take it, when you find one, you take a photograph of yourself with it and post it to these groups. And I'll tell you, my son loves seek and finds, and this was the greatest seek and find game of his life. And he found a huge purple duck, and I can't believe some lady put this in her suitcase. In fact, she put about six of these huge rubber ducks in her suitcase. And yeah, anyway, so then he had to carry it around because it had a gold bill and he thought it was fancy. And he said he needed everyone to know that he found the treasure. So he carried this duck around and those ducks kept the kids going on this cruise and searching and hunting and burning calories for 14 days. So look up cruising ducks. I'll put a link to that in the show notes too, Uh, but it was really wonderful. And you know, once they find the ducks, they want to play with the ducks. So Joey and his ducks and a few of the rubber turtles that he got from the arcade had to come to the beach with us. And what did he do? He buried them in like three feet of sand and didn't mark it. So then we know that the the bus is coming back to get us. And now I'm digging furiously to find these ducks. And thankfully, uh, friends that we had made on the ship, Rian and her son, David, lent us their you know, sand shovel so that we could finally dig up you know, this four foot by six foot area and find the rubber ducks. And they all did manage to come home with us. But um, it, was, it was pretty intense. And we found them. What's wrong? I can't find it. The wizard box failed you? Yeah, it failed me. It looks like there's some concern about illegally importing white sand, and so now I feel like I need to learn more before I say any more. What we were told was that the white sand was a gift from someone. I think it was the king of Egypt, but I could be wrong about that. But maybe that's not actually the truth. That's just what we were told. Okay. It's all a mystery. I don't know, but it was nice white sand. But as for the ducks, the way I remember it is I saw everyone burying ducks, and I thought... That's not a good idea. So I drew a giant arrow in the sand. And then by the time we were getting frantic and I came back from swimming with our daughter, the arrow that I had drawn had almost wa- almost washed away, but it was there enough that I could at least dig where I thought it was. And we found And them. it saved us because I would never have found them. Yeah. I would never have found them. Close one. So, close one. Yeah. So anyway, Tenerife, there's, um, there's actually a wildlife park there called Laurel Park. Uh, which people say is really worth going to. They were having some animals um, sent to other places, either to winter or for mating. I'm not sure. But um, it's a part of it was closed. But I'm sure that it's open now. So, And by I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure the park is open. I don't know if those portions are open, but uh, that's worth going. It's a, it's a wildlife park there. Okay, so next, moving on, Grand Canaria. Okay, this is where I thought... I am going to give my children culture and history and learn about the background of our country and Christopher Columbus because there is a Christopher Columbus House Museum there because it is one of the places that he would stop for supplies before he would go on his, you know, adventures. And so we went and my children hated it. Yeah. There were a couple of macaws there. Kids yeah. were into that. But all the reading and learning... They weren't really so I'm not really into that. that into yeah, yeah. It was unfortunate, but it was a it was a neat place to explore. Uh, I don't know. That's that's pretty much. It, it's interesting to see his paths before he ended up where he ended up. So, and that he yeah. landed much further south in the United States than 
I thought he did. Yeah, I mean, Korean. Or on the continent, yeah. yeah. So it, it, it's, it was neat. And they have, like the, like, the internal workings of a ship, so you can see what a captain's quarter would have looked like, what a regular quarters would have looked like. They have a lot of um, old, what am I trying to say, like star maps? What yeah, am I trying to say? Yeah, and, and a lot of instruments, and they explain how to operate the instruments, like the sextons and things. And, I, I mean, I would have liked to spend time, just you and I, maybe. And maybe another time. Maybe. They did have some pretty decent interactive stuff, mm-hmm. but I think our kids were just not in a museum-going mode. Well, and they kind of had to be restrained because there was a school group in there. Yeah, that's true. And, which, kudos to that teacher, his students were super engaged. Yeah. But our kids don't speak Spanish, so... Yeah. Yeah. Wish they could have just sat in the back and been part of the class. But <laughs> anyway, it was good uh, just to just to see, even though we didn't get to spend a lot of time there. And the macaws really were talking to Joey a lot. I don't think he was into that. They were pretty terrifying. I mean, they were big birds. Yeah. And they were making a lot of angry sounds. And they weren't, like, in, like enclosed or anything. So yeah. uh, I think he ended up being a little nervous about that. Yeah, I was a little nervous yeah. about that. I mean, that's the kind of bird that could... Pick a four-year-old up and take him away. I was gonna, they're going to say, like, take an eye. Because well, they're bad eye level for him. But, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, that so that that was the morning, and, and it was a failure. Yeah, utter failure. Yeah. Everyone was miserable. Mm-hmm. Worst, probably worst moments of the vacation. They're like, <laughs> you know what? Fine. Kids, you're going back to the kids' club. And the kids are like, yeah, we're going No back history or culture for you. And they're like, yes. Yeah. Winning. <laughs> um, so, we got a cab, took them back to the kids' club on the ship. They had a lovely time. And then we actually had a lovely time also, but through poor parenting and planning, we ended up going to the beach and having a lovely time, which Without really would kids. have been much more appropriate <laughs> for the kids. So we should have done that in the reverse order. Except. Lesson learned. Except the, the beach, as lovely as it was, they, I, they, I thought, so I wasn't going to go in because I don't like to go in water where I can't see my feet and you were very brave and encouraged me to go out, which I'm glad that I did. We had a lot of fun. I really did have a lot blast. of fun. It was a blast. But then they put up the flat, like a red or an orange flag, and they put up warnings that it was too rough, and they closed the part of the beach for a period of the day, which is the period of the day that we would have been there with the kids. And so um, it's not like whereas Tenerife, the beach that you get transferred to, is very gentle and lapping, and like you have to supervise your children, but you're not worried about the undertow. This was a rough yeah. section of beach. The, at Tenerife, the beach we went to, was behind uh, what do you call that? Like an artificial Pier. bar. Yeah, it's like they had built, yeah. they had put concrete pieces out there as a break against yeah. the waves. But at uh, Grand Canaria, there was no such thing. And so the waves were significant. It was a blast, but yeah. it was also not kid-sized waves. Yeah, they were, they were man-sized It was awesome. Waves. Yeah, it was fun. Although we rode the waves back in on our last one, and I had a full bathing yeah, suit of sand. Yeah. yeah, that was uncomfortable. But they do have public, uh, like, just out in the open right next to the restaurant like places where you can rinse off which some people really go for it which is a little uncomfortable but then they also have some underground showering facilities which bring uh bring some euros to tip because they are uh operated by some ladies that go in there and clean and they're nice facilities um yeah so but the most more than the beach i think we should talk about the unexpected dining experience that we had. Which is sad because I don't remember what it was called and I feel like people are going to want to know what it's called. Yeah, you talk about it. Wait, where's my phone? Oh, there it is. Okay. Talk about it because I took a picture. I did too. Okay, I'll talk while you look for the picture. Okay. So, 
there we are at this beach, which is exactly what you would want on like a summertime beach. It was October, but you know, we went for the purpose of having a, a last glimpse at summer. And so there's the kind of, you know, in Southern California, they would call it the strand, you know, there's that kind of road walking path, whatever. And then there's shops and restaurants and then the beach on the other side. And there's, so it's just restaurant after restaurant. And we stumbled into this place that was pretty big and claimed to be an Italian restaurant, but also just did everything. Um, and so we ordered off of the picture on the side of the building, essentially, which was, uh, it looks like something like a London broil sliced with vegetables but, on the side. But the ratios on the plate, the way it looked, they looked like medallions or something, right? So it looked yeah. like you were going to get six of these medallions, which would be a lot of food, you know, for two people, but not that much. And it turns out the proportions were all wrong. And what we essentially got was like eight steaks, real steaks. <laughs> about maybe a half inch thick, and there were eight of them, and each one was the size of my hand. So it was a ton of food. Also, there were vegetables in the picture, not in real life. This is not a complaint. <laughs> this is one of the things that made the meal. So It was so. Ristorante Pizzeria Al Macaroni. Yeah. <laughs> there were like four different signs that all said different things, but it was on the same uh, establishment. So I'll we sat outside the on the beach, in the breeze, under the umbrella. It was really nice. And so we ordered this massive amount of food, not knowing how massive it was. Then he brings out this plate of food that's just tremendous. I mean, it just looks fantastic. And we don't know what we're doing. And, you know, I'm, sp- I'm supposed to be speaking Spanish, but I'm still kind of remembering uh, stuff as we go. And so I take one of the steaks off and put it on my plate. And I can see the waiter across the way look at me with a very disappointed look in his eye. And so he comes back over. Um, and this time he brings, it's like a black brick, you know. So, like, you know what lava rocks look like? It was that color, but... Brick shaped and it was enclosed in this wooden. A smooth pumice stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. But obviously very hot and it's in this wooden frame so he can hold on to it. He puts that on the table. He takes one of the steaks, puts the sauce on it, and that which is which was kind of like a, I don't even know. It wasn't a salsa. No, it was it was olive oil and mostly uh, paprika of some sort. Yeah, but it was so it wasn't a paste, right? It was kind of a sauce. It's hard to describe. Yeah. And then and then sea salt that was like big, kind of mm-hmm. flaky Chunky. sea salt. Yep. Um, and so he dressed it with that, and then put this steak back on the lava rock, and it sizzled, right? So essentially, you're you're finishing each steak on the rock. So once we saw him do it, then we figured out how to do it, and it was amazing for a couple reasons. First of all, because you get to finish the steaks to your liking. So I like mine cooked a little bit less than Megan does. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we were able to cook them the way we wanted them because you're cooking them right there at the table. But then also with this tremendous amount of food out in the sea breeze, the last ones would have been cold by the time we were done. But they're not because you get to kind of finish them off right before you put them on your plate. Uh, so um, long story short, we ate absolutely everything on the plate and I regret nothing. <laughs> there was fruit in the sangria. Yeah, there was fruit in the sangria. And I drank around that. (laughs) I ate it. But before that, this is, you know, a gross, you know, add-on. But it was so amazing at the time. I couldn't stop it. It was so savory. We ordered fried provolone. Is it true? Oh, yeah. Baked provolone. At the same place, yeah. Yes, and it was just the cheese fried on, I think, like just a flat top. and And they put... Uh, like rosemary on top or something, and that was so it. Good. It was yeah. so good. Makes me want to just go buy a block of provolone and then eat eight steaks. I don't know, not right <laughs> now. <laughs> Vacation's over, babe. <laughs> so anyway, that was our best dining experience. It really was, and we we stumbled into it. It was an accident. Yes, and um, some guy's photobombing in this picture uh, in a big way. He was on the ship. I should post to be like, who is this guy? 
Uh, so you can put some of those pictures up there. I mean, not the pictures of me stuffing my face, but the pictures of the plate. Okay, but you look good stuffing your face. Uh, okay, I'll do yes. that. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, um, we'll I'll I'll post some of those, and then I just have some pictures of Joe being pummeled by the ocean that I will not put up there. <laughs> but it was it was a great experience. So uh, we'll we'll post some pictures of that. And that was on the La- the Las Canteras Beach Promenade, and that is walkable from the ship. Yeah, you um, have to just walk kind of through the center of the new town to get there, but it's a narrow part of the island. So. Mm-hmm. And then it's very much a hotel and uh, restaurant promenade, and there's not there it's not uh, you're not going to find chains there. This is mom and pop type places, but I thought it was. I I mean, I felt like our meals were reasonably priced. I felt our drinks were reasonably priced, and just yeah, just open eating on the strip, like the strand area with the umbrellas next to the ocean. And you could eat right next to the ocean on a break a little further down. And you could just look out and see all the fish swimming yeah. right there with the water just hitting the right underneath. It was, it was that, amazing. That was pretty wild. So we had a drink later on. We had a drink at this, um, a, a place where there was no beach. So you're up against a concrete wall and then the waves come right up to the wall. And it was amazing because, I mean, maybe people who live on the beach have this experience all the time, and I'm just not one of them. But because the, the sea was kind of rough and the waves were significant, when they hit that break, they would splash up higher than just the railing up, of the of the, um, the fence railing. Yes. So they, it, would, it would shoot up there, and we're right next to the rail, and we, we never, never got, got wet. wet. I mean, it was, it was just pure vertical. There was no um, mist or anything, and that was <clears> a fun experience, too. Yeah. I should mention, though, we should go back to Tenerife. We met a local guy who was just floored to meet Americans. Yeah, he was pretty excited. He was so excited to meet Americans. And when you saw him talking to us, we were like, what's happening? Because he was really intense. I I didn't see that he was being that intense until I got... He was really intense. But he was super excited to meet Americans. And through this whole conversation, he was so excited to have Americans visit his island because it's typically British people. It's not typically Americans. And then he pulled out his phone and starts showing us pictures of Matt Damon. Matt, so he's got these <laughs> pictures on his phone that are labeled with, like, the marker editor on the Photos app or whatever. Right? So it's not professionally done at all. Like, it's not typeset. It's just he wrote with his finger on the app, Matt Damon with an arrow, and then his own name with an arrow pointing at him just to prove that he was there. But it's the it's the opening scene from, I think, I think it's Born Supremacy. Yes, when he's, something. he's fighting the guy. He's fighting. Looks desert-ish. Yes. And he's, he's, like, bare-knuckle boxing a guy. And apparently that was filmed right there at Tenerife. And he was there as an extra yes. in the crowd watching the fight. And he was very Yes, if I, can find it, if I can find it, I'll, I'll, I'll post a picture of it. But he was so proud of it. And he was just, he said, do you know Matt Damon? I'm like, not personally, but anyway. Yeah. He was, and he spoke, he spoke English. And then every time I tried to talk to him in English, he would, he would say, please, please, slow down, please. I mean, please, slow down. I haven't spoken English in a long time. But then every time I tried to talk to him in Spanish, he was just a mile a minute. And kind of refused to afford me the same. Oh uh, yes, <laughs> but nice guy. It was just really nice to talk to him and find out about his island and his island of his childhood. Yeah. And yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah. Anyway, Tenerife, good memories. Okay, so let's. So we had a couple sea days, and um, then we had the camel ride. And after the camel ride is when we found out that it was extended. Extended. Yeah. So first we'll talk about Lanzarote, and Lanzarote is more than a car that was probably what most Americans think of. It is not a car, primarily. It is, first and foremost, a volcanic island in the chain of the Canary Islands. And we didn't mention, but the Canary Islands are off the west coast of Africa, so they're 
I mean, it's, you can't believe that you're so close to Africa, but they are very, you know, European feeling, except for this island is like, they say it's like walking on the moon. And it really is a wild experience because it is entirely black volcanic rock and black, you know, they say black volcanic, but it's browns and reds and oranges and all these different, uh, swirling colors. And some of them are jagged and some of it like there's, that's it, just, it's amazing. The formations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they, I forget the details now, but one, it, it's a place that, uh, volcanologists is what our tour guide kept saying. Is that a word? People who study volcanoes. It's a place that they continue to go because instead of like one big eruption, it essentially erupted in mass. So instead of from one point, it was erupting all over that whole area for six years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what you're seeing is essentially like different layers coming up through the earth Mm -hmm. in this volcanic eruption. And so I thought that was one of the coolest things about it is that you get to see the, the form, the rock formations as they look now is this swirling pattern of colors. That's representative of all the sort of layers that came up through the various um, eruptions. It it, it was really cool. Yes. That's Tim and Faya. National Park. Is yeah, that one, one. one thing we should mention that every, no matter what island we went to, everyone told us all the Canary Islands are different. So you can't go to one Canary Island and think that you've seen them all. And that's that really was the case, mm-hmm. I think, because mm-hmm. Lanzarote was very, very different from all of the other ones. Yes, and Lanzarote, I mean, talk about water conservation. I mean, they had to bring in a, a massive desalinization system in order to make it inhabitable. So they've done some really unique things to try to work with the landscape because they knew that they needed tourism. And there's one artist that that really did a lot and specifically built things around the island to attract people, including a restaurant that is on top of one of these hot points that's kind of cracked open and still... I mean, it's hot enough that they're cooking chicken over it for the restaurant that's at the top of the... At the top of the volcano, so yeah, it's, it's crazy. So it's not—it's not an active volcano. So the heat is not an indication that it's an, about to erupt. It's been like this since it uh, erupted in the 1800s, but it's—but um, it's still hot just beneath the surface. And so essentially, they took a bunch of those pockets of heat and vectored all of that hot air, like they dug tunnels and piped all that hot air into this one point. And so now they cook the meals for the restaurant on this giant grill. That's over all this sort of the injection points of all this hot air from around the area. Is that true? Yeah. Sorry, I was wrestling a child at that point. Yeah. That's uh, why she said, because there's stuff down there you can see, like people have dropped, you know, cell phones or whatever. And you can see the stuff down there and it doesn't get burned up because it's not hot at the bottom of the well. It's only hot where the pipes are because that's where they mm. push the hot air in and then it goes up through the grill. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Cool. and at the <clears throat> same at the same restaurant, they'll do a demonstration of the different temperatures of the earth right there, and they'll dig a hole. And there's, I mean, they're like pea-sized little red pieces of pumice stone. They dig a hole, and then they have a shovel, and they he has a hot mitt, and he grabs some of these stones out of it, and he kind of juggles them around to let them cool off a little bit, and he starts to put them in your hand. And it was a chilly day, and it was. A delight to hold these hot pumice stones in your hand until they cooled off. And he was just picking them off off the ground. So that was really amazing. And then just 10 seconds later. Yeah, so that that area where he he did that was sort of dug down maybe three or four feet. And so Mm -hmm. essentially the, the lower you dig, the hotter it gets, right? So that three or four feet meant that those rocks right on top were warming up. And then they took us to the next, uh, demo where they had, um, 
sort of pipes installed that went down, I think, did you say 10 feet or 10 meters? I can't remember. Uh, it was meters. So 10 meters. So now, or maybe it was six meters. So it's significantly lower than the three or four feet we just saw. And so there they pour a bucket of water down there. And so essentially what you're getting is the water coming into contact with the much, much hotter, um, uh, you know, inside of the, uh, the volcanic part of the, the rock. And so the water turns to steam immediately and explodes out through the, the pipe, uh, which is really cool. I mean, it's just surprising. Yeah, they say stand back and then they move back and you also keep your distance and it comes out with force. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and we have... And the kids loved it. I mean, it was really age appropriate yeah. too. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, so, okay, so those are those things. Good. That takes up actually, if you do, you know, a package tour from the cruise line, that's going to actually take up more of the day than the camel ride because it's kind of sold to you as the camel ride and you don't really realize that so much more of it is actually these other things. The camel ride itself was probably only, I mean, the whole thing was probably a half hour. You're probably on the camel for 15 minutes. 15, 20, yeah. And that's enough. Yeah. Well, when you read the description from the from the cruise line, it's like, and you can sway with the natural motion mo- motions of the camel. And then you do it, and you're like, yeah, this is incredibly uncomfortable, and I would hate to do this for long periods of time. So oh. 15 minutes was fine. Yeah, so these were like single hump camels, right? And... They, they have these, I mean, the man that worked with these camels, like these are his pets. These are his babies. And you can tell that he just, I mean, he's talking to these things like you would talk to your dog or you would talk to a horse and they're strong, right? There's no way that you're going to force these camels to do anything these camels don't want to do. And he was so kind to our son. So they have to make the weight even on each side. And I mean, this is... Before we get into this, this is verified the Royal Caribbean as a you know sustainable and the animals are treated well type tour. And I did have a little bit of concern about that, but watching this man work with these animals, like he clearly loves them and they clearly love him, and I I think that he treats them well. So and and it's also not just a tourist thing. I mean, it absolutely is a tourist thing. But the camels, um, they're not originally. Um, What's the word I'm trying to think of? Native. Native, yeah. They're not originally native to the island, but they've been on the island for 500 years. So they were brought there to be pack animals, to help with agriculture, to do the kind of work that camels do in parts of the world where camels live. So they're, so they're not originally native to the island, but they're native to the island insofar as people have been using them there for a very long time. And now they've turned it into this um, tourist thing, but uh, but taking care of the camels is still like a cultural norm, right? So they're not there to exploit them. This taking care of them is actually something that um, people who are from there have been doing for a very long time. So these are single hump camels. They have an A-frame that they essentially built and pad and put onto the camel's back. And then they need to balance the weight on the sides. And so our daughter did not go with us because there was another little girl similar age, and they put her on the camel behind us with this other little girl because it balanced the weight out. Now, my son, who is four, wanted to be with us, and of course, he was going to be with us. And so this guy wanted, I think that he really loved children, actually, and he wanted to give Joey, like, a really fun experience. So there's a little flat part on the top of this A-frame, and he put this little cushion up there, and he put Joey way up top. But my son is not super adventurous, so I think he, it was a little, probably a little scary he for him. He did. I mean, he stayed up there the whole time. He was up yes. there. But. but then when the camel stood up, my side was um, off, you know, they, they tied these bags of stone to the sides to, to balance the weight out to make it, uh, you know, appropriate for the camel to 
to carry. So instead of adding this bag of rocks, they put Joey down with me, which was better for him, I think, and warmer for me because it turned out to be quite cold that day. Well, it was almost like you had you had the guy who we primarily interacted with who, who didn't speak any English at all, um, and he was there to lead the camels around. He's the camel guy, right? Like, he takes care of the camels. And then there was this other person who was probably more senior in the company, and he was the guy who made sure that nobody gets sued. So once they put Joey up on top of the A-frame, and then we, you know, this train of camels starts doing its thing, we had to pass the more senior managerial guy. And he looked at Joey and goes, uh, no. And, and pulled him off and put him in Megan's lap. So I think he was just uh, <laughs> a little afraid that things were not going to go well. Mm-hmm. And we're fine with that. I'm glad to have the safe call. Yes, it was, it was good, though. But um, the camel behind me, I mean, he loved the shampoo that I use. And he was just all up in my business smelling my hair. And it was really hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but I got pictures. Yeah, it was a really good experience. And, you know, I'm glad that it was kind of short because it was very chilly and it was very bumpy. But... um we did end up um, at the end, you know, tipping the guy very well, um, and then our daughter wanted to take some pictures and uh, of the camels. You know, we had already walked away from him. This was not we did not pay him to take these pictures, and he saw us trying to take pictures. Well, and she's, she's got her Instax camera, like the modern Polaroid style camera. You know, so every picture counts. It's not like a digital camera. And so she wanted a picture of herself in front of the camel. So I was trying to take her picture in front of one of the camels, but I didn't want to get too close. I mean, they're animals and whatever. And the guy came over, he said, no, 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 no. And then he took the camera, like, like put his hand out and pushed the camera down, like, don't take this picture. And then he grabbed Uriah by the hand, pulled her over to a camel, and put her on the back of this camel's neck while they're all laying down, right? The camels were laying down. He puts her on the back of the neck. This camel was being super ornery and started, like, not biting, but, like, moving its head around trying to get up my daughter. And so then he was like, no, no, no. And then he moved her to a different animal that he thought would be a little less ornery, and it was. And so then she sat there hugging this camel's neck while I took the picture. And it was just very kind of him. And he didn't have to do that at all, but he did, and we were grateful. Yeah, and... Just to get back to, like, his love of these animals, like, there was, so, the second animal in our chain of animals, like, um, you know, like, the, the they, ha- they have a pecking order that they have to be in, and they, this guy must be in training. It looked like it was a young the camel. camel. Yeah. Yes. And, and, they, and they are connected, <clears throat> so the harness of the camel in the back is connected to the saddle of the camel in the front, so um, they, they have to stay relatively close together. Yeah, and so... <laughs> They didn't put anyone on him, I guess, you know, because he's learning. And then they all have to lay down, you know, in order, in order so that people can get off. And this camel did not want to lay down. And so he starts, you know, he starts talking this thing, like, really sweetly. Like, you, you can just imagine saying, like, come on, baby, lay down. You're, you can do it. Lay down, you know. And this camel, if you, if you can imagine a husky talking... The camel started shouting at him like Chewbacca. That's yeah. What it sounded like to me. Yes. Like it's talking so back loud. with an attitude. <gasps> like, how dare you ask me to lay down? And then he goes up and he rubs its neck and he tells it it's a good camel. That's what I'm imagining that he said. And it, like, gave this, like, dad, like, don't talk to, you know. And then he just gave in and he just. And it slowly slumped down to the floor. Like, yep. there's no way it was that this guy wrestled it down, right? It wasn't that kind of. A he wasn't even touching it when it went down. Yeah. Yeah, it was just amazing. He really, yeah, he loved these animals, and they knew he was the boss, and he was he Forever wasn't yelling at it. Yeah. Yep, it was really neat to witness. Uh, yeah, just yeah, it was a good a good uh, 
you know, human animal relationship there. Um, so anyway, that's kind of where we'll, we'll end. I think on Lanzarote other than, you know, don't waste the water. They really are, you know, creating all of the water that is on the Island. There is a big resort that you can stay at, uh, where most, where most tourists stay and they're, you know, as far as amenities and just the availability of water, that's, that's where you'd be wanting to stay if you were on the Island. But the the other thing that's cool about Lanzarote and the water consumption is that they, um, I, I thought this was just really clever. Uh, it's hard to grow things because instead of the super tropical environment like what we saw at Gran Canaria, it's this really arid desert environment. Mm-hmm. And so there's just not a lot of moisture. There's not a lot of rain. Uh, and so they figured out that if they crush up the volcanic rock, like the volcanic ash, um, and use that as topsoil, essentially, uh, then it protects the um, – so this is specifically for vineyards. It protects the roots from the heat of the sun. Mm-hmm. And then it also helps to pull water moisture out of the air overnight. And so they're able to grow grapes for wine there, even though it's a desert environment, which was uh, pretty cool. So um, we tried some, and yes. it's, I mean, it was good. It, it's, it's not the best wine that I've ever had, but um, but it was good, and I was yeah. impressed. Yes, and you, they do not export Lanzarote wine, except for within the Canary Islands, because it's just not cost-effective. So if you're in Lanzarote and you try their wines, I mean, buy some, because you're not going to find that the only place you anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll post some pictures of the vineyards, because... They, it's really, it, yeah, they, they bury everything because the sun will just destroy it and it, they, they bury it in this ash and it protects it because, you know, they kind of, they knew they needed to grow things, but there wasn't enough, to, there wasn't any topsoil. So they dug down and found that the topsoil is something like six feet or like the, you know, like the growing soil is something like six feet underground. So they, they just figure out how to work with the environment that they had and it's really neat. So anyway, I'll, I'll post some pictures of that too, for sure. And then we got back on the ship, and uh, surprise, 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 surprise! The captain made an announcement. Joe had just come up with two glasses of. I don't know what we were doing up there, but we were on. Well, the kids the wanted to watch the boat. Most uppermost deck where there's yeah. nothing really up there to do. It's just open space, and so our daughter's just doing cartwheels. And well, it's not normally open space. They had just put all the chairs away. Because, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes, but she wanted to go up there and look out because we were starting to pull away from Lanzarote and the sun was setting. So we were going to go up there and happen to be all this open space. It was quite blustery. But, um, yeah, and then you came and met us with drinks. And we were just hanging out, being a family. And the captain came on to make an announcement. And lo and behold, he said, hey, if you thought it was bumpy on the way down, it's going to be bumpy on the way back because we have these back-to-back storms coming. And we're going to extend the cruise three more days. And so yeah. <laughs> we said, what? Do we hear that correctly? And the kids said, wait, we weren't listening. <laughs> I checked. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and then we celebrated. And, um, yeah, so we were supposed to go to uh, Vigo and La Corina, Spain, but those were... Which even before the big storms sort of all aligned... When we were checking the weather forecast, it was supposed to be cool and rainy at those mm-hmm. two stops, which mm-hmm. is fine. We still would have had a good time. But mm-hmm. it ended up working out great for us because we ended up going um, to Malaga, which is sort of like interior in the Med, and then Lisbon, which is in the Bay. And so both of those ended up being far better weather than we would have mm-hmm. had on the northwest corner of Spain. And just, we, we had wanted to get to Lisbon, but hadn't had the opportunity to. So it was a great opportunity to do that. And then... Malaga, I don't know that we would have ever gone to. Yeah, but loved it. 
Sorry, our little dog has made herself here and she's now laying on the paper, so you might hear the little dog crunching around. But yeah, so anyway, we had uh, not too, I mean. It was a full 24-hour period, so we got yes. there at like 5 p.m., and then we weren't going to leave until 5 p.m. the second day, so essentially we got an overnight at Malaga, which is nice. Yeah, so we, I don't even remember the order of things that happened. We went out hoping to see the Christmas lights in the city. Yeah, that didn't really work and out. They were so, all hung, but they weren't on. Yeah, so you and I went out and explored for a bit and left the kids in the kids' club mm-hmm. and then came back, got the kids, and then took them out in the evening. And they were very, very tired, but good sports. And yes. we got desserts and saw the cathedral and stuff at night. And it, and it was fun. But yeah. they, they were struggling. They were tired. Yeah. And the next day we went back and saw the cathedral properly. Yeah. And it, it's huge yeah and i mean the bishop has a palace outside it which is not as big as the cathedral but it's not bad but it's it's just incredible how huge this cathedral cathedral is i think it is it what it has some sort of record yeah i think it's it's one of the biggest in europe but i can't remember where it fell in the yeah in the pecking order i think it's the biggest in spain yeah it's it's incredible so worth seeing uh, and then we also tried to see the Pablo Picasso Museum. Yeah. Which, uh, well, Pablo, Pablo Picasso House Museum. Oh, no, there's two of them. There's two. So we didn't, there's one that's like, because this was his birthplace, right? Yes. So there's one that's about him, like his life, and then there's another one that has pieces. So mm-hmm. we tried to go to the art gallery one, yes. but the line was around the block, and we ended up And it was raining. The, yeah. So yes. we decided to do other things. And they said it was the only rain that they had had the whole year. Yeah, all summer. It was amazing. And as far as, you know, tropical picturesque, I mean, just lemons and oranges and bougainvillea growing everywhere. It was was neat. And then, you know, some Picasso-inspired murals and things. It was really interesting. But also, they have, you know, there was Romans that were present in Malaga for a while. There's also the oldest um, Arabic fort still in existence, Castle. I think that's right, yeah. Al-Qatabah was the name of that. Yes. Fort. And, I mean, and I, and so, and then there's another castle there. Oh, my gosh. Cause they, so the cathedral was built on top of a mosque, and the current fort was built on top of an Arabic fort. Yeah, and a lot of the structure is still in existence. Yeah, so the one we went to was this sort of original airport, and now it's a museum. Yes. And the one up on the top of the mountain is more recent than that, but it's just kind of a ruin rather yes. than being a museum. So we didn't go to that one. We just went to the, the lower one, Akatsawa, which was which is absolutely worth doing yes. for views of the city as yeah. well as for the kind of architectural fort stuff. Yeah, and the, oh my goodness, Bottle. The way it was laid out was just like, you know, like gorgeous stone courtyard with fruit trees and water fountains. And their irrigation system was really neat. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, that is definitely worth doing. But wear sensible shoes. I think is probably the lesson there. And, Doggo, why you got to be in the podcast? Actually, it was under construction and it got so windy when we were done that mm-hmm. a lot of the construction parts were being... Like metal partitions were like blowing down on tourists. Yeah, it was just like a pole with a, a like a concrete um, 
cylinder around it, and they were starting to blow over, and yes. it got a little crazy. Uh, yeah, so we kind of got out because we had a we, we our son wanted to stay in kids club, but we took our daughter with us, and I just didn't want her being crushed by an avalanche of rubble. You know, it's yeah. the kind of thing you want to avoid. It's a good dad move. Yeah. Yeah. Dad of the year. Yeah, dad of the year. And from there, you can actually see they had you know the ruins of a Roman amphitheater. That was there, and then in the distance you can actually see what is an arena for bullfighting, which we did not take part of because I can't do that. I just can't do that. Yeah, I think that's going to be it for Malaga. Tapas yeah. were amazing. Yeah, it was a good time. We, we really enjoyed it. I would go back. Yes, yes, I would like to go back. And it's the kind of place where when you think about um, wanting to visit kind of like a cultural old city with cobblestone roads that are windy you're not quite sure what's going to be around the next turn like you think it's going to be a dead end but then it's a courtyard with restaurants and shops selling flamenco dancing dresses and that sort of thing it's really neat and kind of actually like you'd have to live there in order to memorize where things are in the city it was quite hard to figure out where we were at times but it was fun being lost in that city and that's all i have yeah, from Malaga. It's a good time. Yeah. There yeah, you go. I'll do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so then the next adventure was on to Lisbon. And Lisbon, I mean, I, you know, I have no real evidence other than articles I've read, but it is supposed to be the most cost, like affordable capital city in Europe to visit. And I would have to say that I would agree with that as far as what we spent and what we did. Yeah. So... And we had we had some good tips from a friend that lives there, so. Oh. Yeah, we had a great time in Lisbon. I would go back there too. Yes. Best. Um, best first experience eating. Fried or like grilled. What am I trying to say? Chorizo. Yeah, yeah. They cut this thing open, a rope of it. They cut it open, cut it like lengthwise, and then many many little slices down the length of it or width of it. And then they put it on the grill, on which it burst into flames, uh, and it, you know it kind of frayed like a firecracker. But it was amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. So we th- we were fooled into believing that these were going to be small plates. And so she we, said it was going to be small plates. We ate, we ordered yes. it as though it was tapas, and it was way. I mean, just way. And too they were much priced food. as if they were tapas. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we spent less there than we had spent at just regular kind of lunch meals, and it was. Including wine. Charming and wine and evening and more than we could eat. And it was really great. Really great. And we set out to order cod because the man who gave us the recommendations, he's been a guest in our home a couple times, and he's always talking about he loves his country and he loves codfish. Well, because she came for Thanksgiving. So he had like a proper American Thanksgiving. And we said, what is is the traditional portuguese meal like if you're gonna have a big family christmas meal or something and he said it would be cod so we tried to have as much cod as we could while we were in this and we had a couple different ways and it was yeah, delicious that's great. yeah so order codfish while you're there and the other thing about lisbon is that we took a tuk-tuk tour with our children because it's it, it is a lot of up and down in lisbon it it's hilly and i mean you're just gonna you're gonna walk and you're gonna get a workout you can take um, I think it's the number 28 tram and it does kind of a tourist loop, but it's, I mean, it's public transportation. So you're going to be crowded in there and you're kind of going to be lucky to get a seat if you do. And I didn't want to do that with our children just for our sake and for other people trying to enjoy the tour. I didn't want them to complain. 
So we ended up um, kind of reluctantly, but meeting the perfect tuk-tuk driver for us, Lino. Yes? Yeah. Lino. Is that Lino? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and he... He's great. Mm-hmm. I think I have his business card still, so if I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But Lino, I mean, he was fantastic for our children. He worked hard to get our son to smile, who is a little shy and also was not feeling well at the time. And it was... And, I mean, he knew all the best places to get custard. The kids had to use the toilet. He said, I know this restaurant owner. Just come in here. And, I mean, just everything was wonderful about it. And and he said, Joey, what's your favorite song? What do you like to listen to? And he said, Hamilton. He said, what's Hamilton? And so we had to explain to him. It's a musical. Don't worry about it. You don't have to play Hamilton. So then he proceeds to blast Hamilton from this tuk-tuk and it this tuk-tuk is an electric tuk-tuk, so it makes no other noises other than Hamilton coming out, I would say, almost embarrassingly loud in Lisbon. It was embarrassingly loud. It was embarrassing. And I said, I think that we're going to be ruining other people's tours because... And he cut me off and he said, this is your tour. <laughs> <laughs> so he turns, he turns it up, so... And then he, he's never heard the music, so he's making up words and including Joey in every other line. That was pretty great. It was pretty funny. So, but the tuk tuk is great because um, you do get to they're t- they're smaller than the buses and the trolleys, and you can go into places where they just can't kind of scoot into. So that's a really good option, and I will put his contact information into the show notes um, or a picture of his business card where I, where I can. And um, yeah, that's just a great thing to do, especially if you have children. Or people with mobility issues. I will say it. it pro- we only have a data set of one here, but it probably depends a lot on the driver. Yes, one hundred percent. Fantastic job of like drawing the kids in. I mean, there was this one facade we passed by multiple times, and he said it was a sixteenth-century um, church. But then during the earthquake, the inside crumbled, and so they had to rebuild the inside. Mm-hmm. So sixteenth-century outside, but eighteenth-century inside. And so then the third time we passed it, he stopped the little tuk-tuk and he said to our daughter, eight-year-old, he's like, Oriah. So what century is the outside? She goes, 16th century. What century is the inside? 18th century. And then he went on with his tuk-tuk, right? So yeah. getting our eight-year-old to learn the history of the city, that's pretty impressive, I think. Yeah, he was he was great. He was great. So, and, you know, and they are they are everywhere, and a lot of them do a hard sell. But this guy was, you know, it, I mean, he worked for an actual company, so it's not just his independent tuk-tuk. And he was pet. recommended to us by a city cab driver, which made us feel a yes. little better that it wasn't just... Yes. You know, someone who is affiliated with the city. Uh, yes, and then we asked him for a restaurant recommendation afterwards. Again, another, and he said, this is a local's restaurant, so you'll be treated well. And, you know, he told the kids what to order, and it was, I'm glad that we only ordered two meals or whatever, because, again, yes, it, so much food. So much food. Um, and they were just very kind to our children there, so uh, great experience. And then after that, we were at sea, rocking and rolling. On this ship. On the Bay of Biscay. On the Bay of Biscay. That is a, um, I mean, it is normally a bumpy experience, but this was, a lot of these people, um, this is their summer, or their, sorry, October break vacation. They do it every year. And they said, you know, this is the, the most rocking they've ever experienced it. And, I mean, the cruise line was helpful. They did offer motion sickness tablets, and they did hang barf bags on every railing and um yeah anyway if you uh if if that's a problem for you make sure to talk to your travel agent about you know some sort of an internal mid ship type option because 
Though it was bumpy for us, I think we slept most slept nights. Out, yeah. Yes. Whereas some people did not, you know, front and back of the ship where it was really moving. Um, yeah. So, anything else you want to say about this about this itinerary? Um, I mean, there's a lot, I think there's a lot more to say, but uh, it was a good time. I, I, I felt like, I mean, we're not going to complain, we said. I felt like Royal Caribbean treated everyone pretty well. Some people had gripes. I'm glad that we were flexible enough that we could just roll with those extra three days and enjoy it rather than try to... I mean, some people had to fight to, like, fly out of Malaga to get home mm-hmm. and all that, and, and we fortunately didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. So we were able to just enjoy the, the extra three days. Yeah. But if you have done a lot of Caribbean cruises, it might be of interest and worth your time to consider flying into London, getting yourself to Southampton. The cruise line will coordinate all of that, and then you can enjoy yourself in the Canary Islands and... Yes, I'm re- I'm really glad we saw them. I mean, yes. I, I, I it's the kind of thing that I wouldn't have known what I was missing, but I'm glad to have seen them. It was something different and special, and I'm glad we're able to do it while we're in this part of the world. Yeah, me too. I would definitely want to go back and spend time there if it allows. Once we conquer the rest of the world, you know. Yeah. And by conquer, I mean visit. I hope so. Yeah. Yes. Which, but we will charm them. Yeah. We're charming people. Although you say that like about little cabins that you're like, it's really too tiny to be here, but we're going to call it charming because it makes it appealing. So I described it. too tiny to go places? <laughs> no, I that. I gave us a, a descriptor that sometimes I use to make something sound nicer that's not as nice. So there you go. All right. Well, exciting things coming up afterwards. I have some interviews lined up with a lady who does language retreats in... Um, Yes, we're going to say something. I have gorilla trekking and a review of the new Margaritaville. Uh, I think it's in Cancun. And let's see what else. It's it's under construction now. And the gal is right there now. She's doing a hard hat tour of it. So it's just being built. And we have... um, uh, And Matthew Walgren is going to be back on talking about his trip to Africa. And then a lady who actually took me on first uh, as a travel agent from Ticket to Travel. Founder Anita Pagliasso is going to be on at some point talking about some neat things coming up in her life and my life. And um, yeah, it's just a lot of good content coming up. So all that to say, thank you for listening. And if you wanted to share it with a friend because you thought it was valuable, that is a compliment to me. And if you wanted to leave us a review, again, big compliment and that's all thanks babe for being on with me thanks for having me always a pleasure yeah wonderful all right this is megan chapa of the travel radio podcast saying good night